0: How many were here Wednesday night? Let me see. How many were here Wow. Praise God. Amen. Um, first of all, thank you, Clean Team, for getting the sanctuary back because we wrecked it in here Wednesday night. So i like, what do you mean you wrecked it? It was a wreck in here Wednesday night, but it was a good wreck. Amen. The Holy Spirit met with us in a powerful, powerful, powerful way, and I told... Um, All of those that were here Wednesday night, don't tell anyone, and here I am telling everyone. But uh, just a powerful, powerful move. And I sense the Holy Spirit in this room today as well. Amen? So I sense the Holy Spirit in this room, and I want to get right into the Word today. So, Father, we thank you and we praise you. We honor you. We glorify you. Lord, everything we do, is because of you and for you. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. There's none like you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And everyone said, Psalm 85, 1 through 7 says, You, Lord, showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sin. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. Restore us again, God our Savior. Put away away your displeasure towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Here's where I want to get to. Will you not revive us again? that your people may rejoice in you. Show us your unfailing love and grant us your salvation. Now, the request is for revival. It's something that we're hearing about right now, if you've been paying attention, something that we're reading about, something that we're Uh, There are certain pockets in our nation right now, and really around the world, that are experiencing revival. And so the psalmist comes and he requests, but he actually reveals that there's something missing with God's people. Letting us know that at one point and at one time, They had something, but now it's missing. Because of the hardness of their heart, they turned to idols, they left their first love, their their love for God had grown cold, and they needed to return to Him in order to be revived. So the text in verses 1 and 3 revealed to us It, it shows us the signs that indicate we need revival. Whether that's personal revival, whether that's corporate revival, verses 1 through 3 kind of give us a little clue on when we need to start thinking about revival in our lives. The first thing that I want you to notice is everything that they mentioned in verses 1 through 3 was in the past. Talked about their past experience, their past encounter with God. When you are constantly referring to the good old days, when you are constantly referring to how God used to move and what God used to do, when your prayer life is non-existent and there's no desire for devotion, there's no desire for the Word of God, and your heart has grown cold towards him. That's an indicator that it's time for personal revival. Then verses 4 and 5 tell us that they were under basically a cloud of divine displeasure. In other words, God was not pleased with his people. And one of the ways that you can detect and realize that God is not pleased with his people, is when there is an absence of the divine favor of God. God's blessing. God's favor. When there is an absence of the favor of God, the blessing of God in your life, it could be it's time to be revived in your life. It's time to begin to pray for revival. So the psalmist recognizes Where God's people are and what they need to do. And he begins to cry out, Will you not revive us again? Will you not revive us again? So that's where it starts. It starts with recognizing and realizing that there's something missing in my life, that something is a hunger, a desire, a longing. A craving for the presence of God, for the spirit of God, just to be with him, just to please him. And when you begin to recognize that, that that absence is in your life, begin to cry out to him, Lord, I need revival. Lord, I need you to revive me again. Because the purpose for revival is to bring back to life. It is to bring back to life. In other words, we had something at one time, now we've lost it, and now we need to be revived again. And if we don't cry out, and if the Lord does not revive us, then eventually what ends up happening is people begin to die spiritually. And since people make up the church, we are the church, right? The church dies. And when the church dies, our communities suffer. See, you can keep the doors of a church open. That doesn't necessarily mean there's life in that church. There are a lot of churches that are gathering and meeting today, but it doesn't mean that there's life in that church. I'll share and show you that in a moment. But if there's no life, then there's no power in that church. And if there's no power in that church, without power, there's no ability to have a transformation in a person's life. And the reason that many people are not being transformed in our churches today is because we have too many lukewarm pastors who have watered down the word of God. You didn't know what you was getting yourself into today. Who have watered down the word of God to appease the people because we're more concerned about pleasing people than we are God. God. I'm talking about pastors now, okay. And we've watered this thing down so that we can accommodate man at the expense of pushing God out of our churches. And therefore, in many churches, and it's been years where someone has been saved in in that church. And if you're not saved, you can't be delivered. And if you're not delivered, you cannot be healed. And so we have many people that are not saved, not delivered, not healed, and it's affecting our homes. And our homes are falling apart. And we have many things going on in our churches today where sin is not even talked about. Iniquities are not confessed. And we just go on as though everything... Is okay. Just look at your neighbor and tell them it's going to get better. Just cheer up. Go ahead. So, what happens is this we have, we mimic Jesus, but we don't manifest Jesus. This is the ooh corner over here. And many churches have replaced the presence of God with personalities. And many, oh boy, this is just, Lord help me today. Many, many people have replaced pastors with social media influencers, they're not your pastor. Well, I follow so-and-so, and I, they're not your pastor. Call them up when you have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> Ask them if they'll visit your sick and bury your dead. So what's happened is we bought into the lie, and we follow influencers rather than finding us a shepherd who will shepherd us and lead us and guide us into all truth. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and be the shepherd... That God's called us to be so so when you talk more about the person behind the pulpit or the praise team on the platform than you do the presence of God you need a revival you need a revival so we have people attending churches whether in person or online and I have nothing against being online we have people from many different states that join us online and we want to welcome you this morning amen Uh, And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But many people are tuning in because of a personality, not because of the presence of God. And this is what God says. I'm a jealous God. And I'll have no other gods beside me or above me. And it's jealous in a good way. And God says, okay, if you make an idol out of that person then what I will do is I'll bring your idols down. And so don't be surprised if some of the people that you've been following, don't be surprised. Uh, I'll just leave that right there. Oh, it's a good day in the neighborhood. Because revival is spirit-led, not personality-driven. If it starts with a person, it dies with that person. If it's by the Spirit of God, it will live. And you will see fruit as a result of it. And so what's happening, uh, uh, there is a hunger that's being created in the hearts of God's people. Because many people are waking up to the realization of, I need more. I want more. And that's what's one of the things that's taking place in our nation today. One of the things you have to understand about revival is this. Revival starts from within. Revival starts in your heart. That's where it starts. It starts from within. Because in order to change a person, you don't change a person from the outside in. You change a person from the inside out. You start... On the inside, I grew up in a church, and I thank God for it, but I grew up in a a very um, legalistic church where they thought and taught that if I could put a list of rules and regulations that you must adhere to, that I could change that individual. For instance, um, you've heard me talk about this. Ladies, you can't wear makeup and jewelry. I mean, ladies know it's okay to wear makeup and jewelry? Come on, guys, nod your heads. <laughs> Amen. You know, guys have to wear long sleeve shirts. You can't go to this. You can't do that. If it, makes you, if it makes you grin, it must be sin kind of thing. That's what I grew up in because we thought we could change a person from the outside in. And what happened during that time and generation is we turned a lot of people off to God because we put a list of rules that nobody could live up to. Rather than saying, okay, we're going to let the Holy Spirit do what he needs to do on the inside of you and allow him to reveal what you need to get rid of, not me. And so God always begins revival in the heart of an individual. It's an inward revival. Work. Revival starts in the hearts of God's people. Listen, revival does not start with non-believers. Well, God needs to send a revival to take care of these non-believers. It doesn't start with non-believers. Revival starts with believers. Revive means to what? It means to resurrect. It means to bring back from the dead. The world was never saved to begin with. The unsaved didn't believe to begin with. So how can God revive something that's never been there to begin with? Doesn't happen. How can God renew something that they never had to begin with? Revival starts with the church. It starts from within, amen? And so God doesn't revive the world, God revives the church. And when the church is revived, then he uses the church to change the world. That's how it works. But the church can't change the world if the world is in the church. (laughs) So what's happened is the church looks like, acts like, talks like, behaves like the world, and the world looks at the church and says, you're no different than me, so why should I come to your club? I've noticed lately in the pictures that I've always got this finger pointing. That's the preaching. That's the prophet finger pointing. Online church, do me a favor, type this in the comment section. Revival starts in your heart. Say that with me. Revival starts in your heart. That's where it starts. Starts in our heart. Why the heart? Why does it start within us? Because your heart is the place for the indwelling of God's presence. God lives in this temple. God lives in our heart. And if your heart is right before God, his presence will be alive in you. Amen. So the evidence then of a revived heart is number one, you have a close personal relationship with the person of God. You know God. You have a close personal relationship with the person of God. How do I know my heart is revived? I know God. Number two, you have a close personal relationship with the presence of God. Aren't they one and the same? Let me break this down for you. There's a difference between God's acts and God's ways. Um, The children of Israel knew God's acts or his works. And because they knew God, um, they experienced God's provision. They experienced God's protection. In other words, they knew God. But Moses took it a step further. Because the Bible tells us that Moses knew the ways of God. He knew God, but he also knew the ways of God. What does that mean? He knew God's presence. Moses pushed into, pressed into the presence of God. See, you cannot love a person until you know their ways. And the only way that you can know that person is to spend time with that person. That's what Moses did. He spent time in the presence of God. You remember the, the, the children of Israel, this is, this, is the, this is what they would tell Moses. You go, you talk to God, you come back and tell us what he wants us to do, and we'll follow. In other words, Moses, you press in to the presence of God. You become familiar with the presence of God. We know God, but we, we want you to know the presence of God. But how many of you know God wants you to know Him, and He also wants you to develop a relationship with the presence of God, that you press into His presence, that you, that you get alone with Him, that you spend time with Him, that you just don't know His acts or His works, but you know His ways. Moses knew the person of God, and he knew the presence of God. And the result of knowing the person and the presence of God is the power of God. When you know God and you know his presence, you have his power. And what did he do? He he walks out and he stretches a rod over the Red Sea and it parts the power of God. So you cannot, I cannot, the church cannot have the power of God without the person of God and without the presence of God operating in our lives. And guess what? That takes a transformed heart. Transformed heart. When you have a transformed heart, it produces the person, the presence, and the power of God in your life. So, 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 introduction to this series that's it right there so the question then that we must ask ourselves is this what is God doing in America right now what is God doing well it's very simple God is dealing with the heart of his people God's dealing with the heart of his people that's what you're witnessing right now God is reviving the heart of his people in order to do what? To restore a passion in the hearts of his people to pursue after him. Yeah. To pursue after him. And he just so happened to start at a Methodist college. Asbury university and it just so happened to be a group of young people well that goes with the bible in the last days in the last days says god i will pour out my spirit on all flesh i'll get to that next week he said the first thing you're going to notice is there's going to be something different about your sons and your daughters yeah. he said your sons and daughters are going to have visions They're going to lay hands on the sick. They're going to see them recover, whether they're a preschooler or not. They're going to cast out devils in Jesus' name. God says, I'm going to start messing with your sons and daughters. You know, the reason that the devil has attacked your children, my grandchildren, so much in the last couple of years is because of the prophecy that's hanging over their head. That's why. I mean, the devil can read the Word of God. He knows what's coming. There's a great outpouring of the Spirit of God that's coming that's going to start with the young people, and we're seeing that happening, happening right now. That's why he's done everything that he could to try to take them out. But how many of you know when the devil has a plan to take them out, God has a plan to keep them in? Amen. So there's a call going out. And I liken it to the call in John's Gospel, Chapter 7. I want you to look at it real quickly with me. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood. What does that mean? He's moving. Jesus is moving. Whenever Jesus moves, listen to what happens next. And he spoke in a loud voice. When he moves, he speaks. And he's speaking. Listen to what he says. And this is what he's saying to America today. Let anyone who thirst, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from where? From where? From where? where? Why? Because it starts on the inside, and it starts in our hearts. He said, living waters will flow from within them by this he meant the spirit whom those who had believed in him were later to receive this was after he was resurrected walked into the room that they were cowering in and breathed on them and they received the holy spirit his spirit john chapter 20. up to that time the spirit had not yet been given since jesus had not yet been glorified so what would happen and the Old Testament is the Spirit of God would come and rest on a person. And they would do great exploits. And then the Spirit of God would lift off of that person. Right? I mean, you see that all throughout the Old Testament. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Elijah one time. And the Bible said that he outran Ahab's chariots to Jezreel. Now, that may not mean anything to anybody until you understand that those chariots could go up to 60 miles an hour. And now you have a man who's outrunning chariots at 60 miles an hour. That'd be like you getting on route two today and Rob just come whizzing right by you. (laughs) Samson, the spirit of the Lord would come upon him. He would do great, uh, great things for the Lord. And so, but now it's not coming on us. It's in us. Now it's not coming on us, it's resting within us and flowing out of us. If, if, if our hearts are right, then he will flow from us. That's next week, can't get there. So let me just talk about this in my first closing. So all through the first seven days of this feast that Jesus is attending, what they would do is they would go to the pool of Siloam. You can read this later. They had golden pitchers that they would dip in the pool, they would come back, and they would take water that they got from the pool of Siloam, and they would pour it over the altar. And this was supposed to remind everyone of how God miraculously provided water for them in the wilderness. Okay? Okay? It it was to honor and celebrate God's miraculous provision for them. Here's what happened. It had become so ritualistic and routine that it lost its significance and its sacredness. So for many of them, it's now just mundane and going through the motions, like a lot of church services today. Ritualistic, mundane, going through the motions. So for seven days, Jesus sits back and he watches this exercise in futility. People going to the pool, drawing water, coming back, pouring the water on the altar, and nothing's happening. No one's changed, no one is challenged, no one is transformed, no one is stirred, there's no life, there's nothing And on the eighth day, Jesus stands up and he shouts, Hey! Anybody out there thirsty? Is anyone out there tired of this ritual? Is anyone out here in the crowd tired of this mundane going through the motions of something that has no life to it? Is there anyone out there in that group that wants something different than this? And he challenges them. Is anyone thirsty? Is anyone out there Does anyone want something more? Do you want something more than just a service? Does anyone out there want something more than just making sure I check the box that I went to service on Sunday? Anyone thirsty? Anyone craving something more? Because the whole premise of this passage is based upon the thirst of the individual. And everyone in this room can identify physically, we can identify with what it's like to be thirsty. So God takes the need that we have to satisfy a natural thirst and allegorically he uses this to say, come on and come after me. If you're thirsty, come and drink. And then he shows us what it means to drink. He said, this is how you drink. You just believe. Anyone who's thirsty, come. Believe in me. Pursue me. Have a heart for me. Have a desire for me. And if you'll do that, rivers of living water will begin to flow out of you. In other words, what you've been longing for, what you've been craving, what you've been desiring, He will quench that longing and that thirst. Do you believe that today? Do you really believe that today? When we were in our 21 days of prayer and fasting, one of the things the Lord, I felt like, revealed to me was that there was coming, and we're seeing it, there's coming a time where nothing, especially if you have once tasted and seen that the Lord is good, Nothing else will satisfy that longing and craving for his presence in your life. And so here's what's happening that's going to continue to increase. What's happening is this. The appetite or the longing or the craving for worldly things is going to become less and less and less appealing. And some of those aren't even necessarily bad things. Why is that? Because there's going to be such a thirst and hunger for him that none of those other things are going to satisfy, and he is the only one who will fulfill that desire. Amen? Amen. 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 Okay, J.K., J- J.K. You come up, I'll come down. Hey, um, could you give me the, the last scripture, please? This, this was the feast of, <coughs> excuse me, we'll get to this in a minute, just let me, the feast of tabernacles, the feast of booths, and what it was was a celebration of harvest, And it was a celebration. It was one of the three main feasts that every male um, Israelite had to attend, had to. And so it was the feast of in-gathering. It was harvest. That's the feast that he's here saying, is anyone thirsty? You have to realize prophetically, two of the three main feasts have already been fulfilled in Scripture. Number one, the Passover. Jesus became our Passover lamb, fulfilled that Scripture or that, that feast. Number two is Pentecost. Fifty days after Passover, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church, Acts chapter 2. That feast has been fulfilled. The only feast that is yet to be fulfilled is this third and final feast. It's called the in feast where you celebrate harvest. You know what that means? That's the catching away of the church. This was the feast that he was at when he said, I'm giving a call to everyone who's thirsty. Come on. I'm giving a call. If you're thirsty, I want you to come. I want you to drink. And what he's doing in America right now is he's giving everybody an opportunity because he is coming. I said he is coming. And so you were right. Right. We need laborers. Now give me my scripture, please. Paul, Palm Sunday, we're starting our third service. Thank you. 8:30, <laughs> 10 o'clock, 11:30. Here's why: I refuse to allow this building to limit us in what God wants to do here. (laughs) Refuse. Well, pastor wins enough, enough when your sons and daughters come in, when your spouse comes in, when Jesus says, okay, guys, it's time to come home. Come on home. Because we are at harvest time. It was at that feast that Jesus gave an invitation. And there's an invitation, does this make sense? There's an invitation that's being given. Do you realize right now, right now, last month, February, from February 2022, this church right here is averaging 190 more people than it did a year ago. Never have I seen that in 20 plus years of pastoring, never. 190 more people, 190, but guess what? Jesus said it right here, the harvest is great, but the workers are so few, therefore pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest, ask him to send more workers into the fields. So we've been praying, our staff, our team has been praying, and many of you have been serving But there's still a lot of you who can roll up your sleeves and get in this field and help us reach this last day harvest for Jesus. Amen? Come on, stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. So there is a table on your way out that lists every ministry, and every ministry, every ministry needs workers, needs laborers, Every ministry, every ministry. One of the problems when people come to a church like this is you think every need has been met. Far from it, far from it. I told, I told um, our administrators this past week when we were going over this, I said, look, anyone who's ever farmed, you know it's work. It's work. Jesus used that analogy to let us know this is work. This is work. Sun up to sundown, bringing in the harvest. Sun up to sundown, bringing in the harvest. But I know He will refresh us. And I know he will revive us. And if we will roll up our sleeves and say, yes, Lord, you can count on me to usher in and bring in this last day harvest, I know. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to prophesy to some of you right now. The reason some things haven't opened up for you is because you haven't opened up to God. But if you will open up to God, get back in the game, start serving, start believing. God says, I'll open up things for you that you've been waiting for me to do for years. I'm just telling somebody you need to obey God. Do what he tells you to do and watch and see what he will do for you. Is anybody thirsty? Hey, hey, is anybody tired of dead, dry religion? Amen. Hey, I'm just Jesus talking there. Hey, is anybody tired of this? Going back and forth, going back and forth. Nothing's changing, nothing's happening. Anybody tired of this? Well, come on. Come to me. Believe in me. I'm going to fill your heart with my spirit. And out of you is going to flow a river that's going to touch other people. That's going to be used to transform lives. I'm telling you right now, God's doing it. God has his hand on this house. God has his hand on this house, and he wants us to know Wednesday was just, just a drop, just a drop of what he wants to do in this house. I'm just going to call thirsty people, and I know I'm out of time, but I don't care. I'm going to call thirsty people. If you're thirsty, I want you to get in this altar with me. I want more. I want more. I want more. Come on, quickly, quickly. Come on. I I want more. I want more. I want more. I want more. Come on, I want more. Quickly, I don't have a lot of time, come forward. Just keep coming forward. Come on. Hey, is anybody thirsty? Does everybody have everything you need? Are you filled up to the rim? Are you overflowing? Anybody overflowing here today? Jesus. Jesus. It starts with acknowledging, I need, I need him. It starts with realizing that there's more behind me than what's going on right now. I need revive. I need revive. I need revive.